The following message is by Justin Duran, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. So, friends, as we uh, are continuing on, by the way, uh, if you are a visitor today, what I didn't do is introduce myself. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, uh, and if you're not a visitor, then you already knew that, uh, so that's why I forget to do that sometime. But my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It is one of my great honors and privilege today to carry on in our study in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at this for quite some time. As a matter of fact, since the end of September, we started Luke then, and I imagine we will be in it for quite some time longer. And as we look and continue on in our Gospel of Luke series, we'll be in uh, chapter 4 today. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 31 through 37. But just a quick recap, so far in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, we, the, as we've looked at this segment of the life of our Savior, we've seen kind of two consistent themes begin to emerge in the text As we've seen Jesus repeatedly demonstrate both his power and his authority. We've seen that over and over again. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And we see uh, in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being full of the Holy Spirit. And we see that he demonstrates his power in doing what Adam was unable to do in denying temptation, in denying temptation. And we see that he demonstrates his his, uh, authority in his command and use of God's word to rebuff the temptations of Satan. And then we see in verse 14 that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit as he begins his teaching ministry. So what we've been looking at in uh, verse, uh, so rather chapter 4, is what just happens just before the beginning of Christ's teaching ministry, and then we see the very beginning of Christ's teaching ministry. And as Pastor Derek preached last week through verses uh, 14 through 30, we saw further demonstrations of both Christ's authority and his power, as once again he is teaching with authority and ignoring the flattery of those people who are in attendance. As a matter of fact, he speaks with so much authority, so pointedly with such authority, that the Bible tells us that they were going to throw him off of a cliff. He spoke so pointedly God's truth that it angered the people that were in attendance. But once again, in a display of Christ's power, the Bible tells us in verse 30 of chapter 4 that he passed through their midst and went away. So, so far, over and over again in Luke chapter 4, we've seen continual demonstrations of both the power and the authority of Christ. By the way, could you imagine that for a moment? You're listening to a sermon and you're amazed, so amazed that you want to flatter the teacher and he just keeps on teaching those same points and so you decide you want to kill him. Like, I'm really, really grateful that we have pastors here that will unapologetically speak the truth. We all work together to do that. And I'm also really, really grateful that when we preach hard truths, you don't throw us off cliffs. That's a good thing. Anyway, as we turn our attention to the next section of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke that we'll be examining today, we're going to yet again see further demonstrations of the authority and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at our text today, starting in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. 
And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So let's break that down and see all the various uh, areas of truth that we can get from this section of Scripture, or at least some of them. And we'll also see how Christ continues to demonstrate both his authority and his power. So let's take a look at verse, starting in verse 31. We're just going to look at uh, 31 and 32 here just real quickly. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So we see here, in even just two short verses, a couple of things that I think are really helpful to notice. And surprisingly enough, after all my talk about the power and the authority and the authority and power of Christ and how it's displayed and demonstrated yet again in this section of Scripture... The first thing that I notice when I look at this section of Scripture is actually neither of those two things. The first helpful thing that I notice is not either of those two things. As we read in verse 31, I see this phrase. It says, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So why does this matter? Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. Okay, big deal. We would expect Jesus to teach on the Sabbath. So why do I find this helpful? Well, it's for this reason. As Pastor Derek pointed out last week in verse 16, the Bible tells us that this, this very thing, was his, Jesus' custom. This was Jesus' custom to be in the synagogue teaching on the Sabbath. This is what Jesus consistently did. We see here, modeled for us by our Lord and Savior, a blessed consistency, and a godly discipline. See, on the Sabbath, the day that's set apart for rest and encouragement in the Lord, a day that many of us refer to as the Lord's day, Jesus can be consistently found revealing the truth of God's word to the people who need to hear that truth. We see modeled for us by Jesus a consistency and a discipline and so if we are Christians and we are to call ourselves Christian and we have the aim to be Christ-like, I would ask you, friends, in what way do you demonstrate this same consistency and discipline in your life? And so you might be asking as you're sitting here, but Pastor Justin, why, why are you making such a big deal of this consistency? We get it. It's important to be in church and to sit under sound teaching. That's why we're here. That, that's true. And yes, I believe that this uh, display and this mention of consistency is underscoring that fact that we should indeed be together on the Lord's Day, encouraging one another, admonishing as necessary, sitting under sound teaching. 
I think that the illustration of consistency here is of even greater importance than that. Let me explain. You see, as Pastor Cliff taught all those weeks ago, I told you we've been in Luke since September, and on September 29th, as a matter of fact, the last time that we corporately celebrated a baptism together, as it might be, Pastor Cliff taught us about the purpose of the Gospel of Luke. And if you don't remember some of the things that he talked about in the purpose of gospel, uh, the Gospel of Luke, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but one of the things that he was teaching us uh, was that it was to compile an orderly, chronological, detailed, and consistent account of the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, our one and only hope and redemption. Pastor Cliff was teaching us the purpose of the Gospel of Luke is for us to know in an orderly fashion the reliability of the testimony in the gospel of Jesus. So as we look in chapter 4, in verse 31, this, this minor mention of consistency, these words that it says, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, these eight words to me are a built-in accentuation of the fact that this account is absolutely reliable that the Bible is absolutely reliable, that our Savior is absolutely reliable. So when we see, again, as we're about to, further testimony of Jesus exercising his authority and of his power, we can rest assured knowing that it's absolutely reliable. There's no inconsistency here to what the Bible is saying. We're seeing in an orderly fashion the life and times of Jesus. We see here over and over again that the Bible supports its own claims. And the next thing that we'll see as we look uh, in this section of Scripture is verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. You see, the noted consistency of Christ is a testament to the reliability of the gospel. And so you don't have to believe me or anybody else when we stand up here and tell you that Jesus' teaching possessed authority. You don't have to just believe us when we stand up here and say that Jesus was powerful. The Bible tells us that his word possessed authority. And we can rely on what the Bible says. And in verse 32, it says that the people were astonished. Why were they astonished? Now, for those of us in the room, it shouldn't astonish us that Jesus speaks with authority. But for these people here, standing in their midst, hearing the voice of Jesus, they were astonished. Why? Well, friends, it's because they weren't used to this. They'd never heard anything like this. They had never heard someone speak God's truth with such authority, such command, such presence. How do we know that to be true? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 say this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. See, everywhere that Jesus went, crowds of people understood when they heard Jesus speak that there was something different about what he was saying and how he was saying it. They were awestruck. 
They were amazed because no one had ever come to them with this level and type of authority. Simply his words and the way in which he spoke them was enough to make it clear to the people around them that something about him was different. That there was more to him than the others who had come before him or taught before him. And as we continue on in this scripture, we'll see even larger and further demonstrations of the difference between anybody they had ever heard before and between Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So look with me, if you will, at verse 33. At verse 33, it says this, And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, let me just remind you of the stage here that was set. Christ was, again, demonstrating his authority in a synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his consistent custom to do. And a demon-possessed man is in attendance. Now, I just want you to stop and, and just think about that for one moment, because there are some what could be startling implications in that. They're in a synagogue. They're in the church building. Now, I can't imagine that anyone who went there that day went so expecting that there was a possessed man, a man possessed with demons, walking casually about in their midst. We get no indication here from this reliable and consistent and orderly gospel that anything was noticeable about this man until he spoke out. He was amongst them, in their midst. Friends, Satan and his minions can and will show up in the most unexpected places. They will show up in unexpected places, casually walking in the midst of God's people. And friends, God's people must remain vigilant. We must remain dutifully, responsibly vigilant. Now, does that mean that we should walk around in fear? Does that mean we should walk around suspecting that behind every smile or every handshake or every cup of coffee or donut hole is some monster lurking to devour us? Devour us? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that that would be healthy for our church. And that's not what I'm telling us to do, friends. But the New Testament, all throughout it, has many examples of people within the church not being who they seem to be. In some cases... It's demons walking in their midst. In other cases, it's non-believers who would have us believe that they are one of us and so sin amongst us. We as God's people must be prepared at all times to hold one another up and encourage one another, to respond to these people however they may reveal themselves. Because make no mistake as we're about to see, and as we will see time and time again all throughout the Bible, the aim of the enemy is to disrupt, to distract, and to destroy the proclamation of God's truth whenever it is spoken in authority. 
That's the aim of the enemy, is to disrupt the truth of God, to distract from the truth of God, to destroy the truth of God before it reaches the ears of the people who need to hear that truth. And that's not just a claim that I'm making. We actually see that happen here. So look with me again at verses 33 and 34. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. There again, like I said, in the synagogue was this demon-possessed man. And it says he cried out with a loud voice. Now, just stop for one moment so I can drink some water. But also, stop for one moment and consider what's happening here. It says that Jesus is teaching and people are astonished at his teaching. There is this active teaching that's happening and this man calls out and disrupts what's going on. It doesn't give us any indication here in the Bible that this was a time of fellowship where everybody was hanging out before service or after service having coffee and donut holes or eating a meal or, or, or encouraging one another or catching up on the week. No, this gives us indication that this is while Jesus was teaching, while he was saying these things that astonished people, while he was speaking in this authority, this demon cried out. And the Bible goes out to say that he cried out with a loud voice. He was meaning to be heard over the voice of Jesus, I believe it's telling us here. Out with a loud voice, and in verse 34, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Friends, evil cannot stand to hear the truth spoken with authority. Can't stand it. This is why... As we've considered so far everything that's happened in Luke chapter 4, this is why Satan departed from Christ in the wilderness. Because he was speaking with authority God's word, the truth of God's word. When Satan tried to refute him with false and twisted teaching, Christ once again with authority spoke in truth God's word with authority. And Satan departed from him, it tells us. This is why the people in the synagogue at Nazareth, the Bible tells us, were filled with wrath after just having flattered Jesus, after just having said nice things to him and about him and about his teaching. It says they were filled with wrath and they sought to throw Jesus off of a cliff. And this is why the demon that is walking among the people in the synagogue at Capernaum calls out and mocks Christ as he is teaching with authority. Evil cannot stand when the truth of God's word is spoken in authority. Now, I made a claim just a brief second ago that the demon mocked Jesus. And why do I say mocked? Well, the language here suggests that the demon was doing precisely that, mocking Jesus. In my study for this sermon this week, I learned that the first word of verse 34 is omitted from several different translations of the Bible. And I don't know what everybody has in their hands right now, but uh, kind of knowing the congregation, we kind of seem to have two sort of preferred translations among us. One is the New American Standard Bible, which is excellent and reliable, and also the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is uh, excellent and reliable. I love them both. But... It would seem that in this uh, case, uh, in verse 34, the first word is omitted 
if you're reading along in the NASB today. If you're reading along in the NASB, you won't see this word, and it's, it's ha. So if you have an ESV, you'll see that it says ha. And in the Greek, uh, it's, it's, it's like eh, E-A, exclamation point. And while, admittedly, my Greek pronunciation uh, is not the best. It is not the best. What I did is I, I reached out and I asked a friend of mine who is quite whiz-bang and amazing with Greek this week to help me with this one because that kind of seeing E-A in that way was, I'd not really seen it before. And he explained it to me uh, in context as this kind of glottal, dismissive sound, similar in English to like, poof, right? And so there seems to me, as we read the text here, this condescension, this mocking in the demon's tone as he is seeking to disrupt Christ as he is teaching authoritatively the truth of God's word. It's almost as if he is saying, I'm paraphrasing a concept here, I'm not saying this is what the Bible says, but it's almost as if he's kind of saying, the demon is kind of saying, ooh, I know who you are, big tough holy man. What, did you come to beat us up? That's what it seems like is happening here. Now, friends, this thing, if this is true, if what I'm asserting is true, that this demon is mocking Jesus, it's absolutely consistent with what we know about Satan and his minions. It's absolutely consistent. They have, since before time, been dismissive of the power and authority of God. Since before time, Satan and his demons have been dismissive and doubtful about the authority and power of God. And they have sought to, through temptation, through trickery, through distraction, through seeding false desires for idolatry, they have sought to entice others, namely humans, you and me, to be equally dismissive of God's word. But thankfully, our Savior, the Son of our Lord God, our hope, our redemption, our peace, he will not be undone. So let's look in verse 35 at the response that Christ gives to this demonic disruption. In verse 35, it says, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Now, friends, I know that I'm saying that very calm, but there's exclamation points here, and I just don't want to yell at you through the microphone, but I want you to see what's happening. It says, Jesus rebuked. Now, what does rebuked mean? It's a strong command. There's nothing gentle about a rebuke anywhere in the Bible. We see exhortations. That can be a little bit gentle. We see encouragements. That can be gentle. Rebuke never anywhere in the Bible is used as a pat on the back. Rebuke is a condemnation and a call to repentance or change. That's what a rebuke is. It is a strong thing. There's nothing weak about the language here that Jesus is using. So imagine, if you will, this demon has stood up and interrupted Jesus while he's speaking and has mocked him, seeking to sow a dismissive, doubtful understanding amongst the people. And Jesus rebukes him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, 
having done him no harm. You see, without the slightest hesitation, we see our Savior yet again speak with unwavering authority. And then we also see him demonstrate an unparalleled power. He commands, be silent and come out of him. And the demon can do no other than obey. Jesus doesn't have to arm wrestle him, doesn't have to throw him out of the synagogue. This is not the part of the Bible where we see Jesus fashion a bullwhip and flip tables. That's not what happens here. When this demon mocks Jesus, Jesus says, be silent and go. And the demon can do no other. He, can, he can't even do harm to this man as he goes. You see that it threw him down. It says, and has thrown him down in their midst. This language here is there again, not a gentle language. It's this idea of a hard thrashing. This man was thrashed down to the ground in their midst, and he came out of him. And then it says, having done him no harm. The demon couldn't even sprain the guy's ankle on the way out the door. This demon could do no other than obey the exact commands of the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who spoke once again with absolute authority and unparalleled power. God's authority and God's power are absolute. Make no mistake. They are unwavering. They are unfaltering. God's authority and God's power are all-encompassing. And as such, Jesus, our Savior, his authority and his power is absolute and unwavering and all-encompassing. And we know that as Christians, and we believe it as Christians but as we look at the response of many of the people in attendance, we get the sense that they have yet to realize this absolute nature and power of God's authority. Why do I say that? Well, look with me, if you will, at verse 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. It says that they were amazed. And sure, friends, if that happened in front of my eyes, guess what I would be? I would likely be amazed. I'd be amazed. It would, it would be incredible, wouldn't it? Absolutely incredible. If I would have just witnessed and seen Jesus cast a demon out of a guy right in front of my eyes. That would be unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life. I would stand amazed. But I want you to see that the Bible gives us here an indication that their amazement wasn't at the power of God in the same way that I would marvel at the power of my Savior. It says, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit to come out. See, it seems to me that they believe much like the world believes today. That there's some kind of duality between good and evil. There's this fight 
that's happening, like this constant cosmic balancing act where, where good wins some and evil wins some, and there's this back and forth, like, like the, some kind of cosmic eternal ping pong. Like that's not the truth. And we as Christians, those who are in Christ, we know this. We know there is no option for evil to succeed. We know there's no chance that the Bible is rewritten and that Satan wins the day. We know that Christ tells us that not one who is given to him will be taken from his hand. We know that. There is no confusion, but it would seem that for the people here at the synagogue of Capernaum, that's not quite as clear to them. What word is this? What is this word? For with power and authority, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. See, they were just amazed a moment ago, awestruck, awestruck at the authority at which he taught. But they, for some reason, had a disconnect between that authority that they just witnessed and then the power that was demonstrated before them. They didn't understand that this is the power and the presence of God and that God will not be undone. They didn't understand that when Jesus calls someone clean, that's what they are without exception. They didn't understand that when Jesus commands the darkness into the light, it can do no other. They didn't understand and it baffled them. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. It started to spread. But what we don't see here is say that the truth went out. It doesn't say that the gospel went out. It doesn't say that the majesty and the power of the Lord went out. This is not yet the fulfilling of the Great Commission. This is not yet the power that we see in the book of Acts at Pentecost. This is not what we're seeing here. Just as reports, people were talking about it, and it went out all over the place, like a newspaper article. And friends, what we need to understand is this is not the same response that we see from people who are saved by grace. Because those who are in Christ, when they go out, it is not a report that they take. It is the authority and the power and the hope of Jesus Christ that they take to the surrounding region. It's not a casual account of what happened over here. It is the hope and the glory of God that those of us who are in Christ carry with us. It is that message that comes from our lip. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just a marveling at something neat that happened. And friends, this, this is what I want us to understand today, that if you are in Christ, that if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, then you, too, being filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, can speak His Word with authority and power. 
And this, this should be a big deal. That same thing that we saw, that same amazement that people had, they were awestruck and dumbfounded. We should be awestruck and dumbfounded. And when we shake that off, it should cause us to do something. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that God's word is spoken with authority. It shouldn't surprise us when God moves in power. And we should never wonder, what is this word? For in Christ we know this word. That God provided a way for his people to be reconciled to him. Through Christ Jesus, his son. Through the sacrifice of our Savior, who lived sinless for 33 years, having done no wrong, who was then convicted of a crime he didn't commit and that was largely unenumerated, who was murdered, whose blood was spilled as a propitiation, a covering for those who could never ever earn salvation for themselves. Friends, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That at one point, we didn't understand these things either. We marveled at them, but we didn't understand them. We may have even put reports out about them, but we didn't know them. And now, in Christ, we can. Now, in Christ, we do. We know the truth. And instead of standing awestruck at the hearing of truth, we instead stand awestruck at the idea that God would find us worthy of his grace, that he would love us, though we don't deserve it. That's the awe in which those who are in Christ stand in. And if you are here today and none of that makes sense to you, then friends, I might, I might challenge you that, that you don't know Jesus. But the beauty is, is that you can. This doesn't have to be confusing to you. It should make perfect sense to you that a demon can be cast out by the word of Christ. It should make perfect sense to you that the, that the king of the universe has authority over all things. And we would love to speak with you about that. It should make perfect sense to you that if you believe and repent, then you will be saved. That if you believe in who Christ is and that he died for you as an all-sufficient sacrifice, that you will be saved. It should make sense that if you repent and reconcile yourself to the living God of the universe, that you will be saved. And those who are with us today, celebrating baptism and observing in obedience this ordinance, understand that blessed truth that they once were lost, they now are found. That they were once awestruck and now instead they stand in the awe and presence of God. Let us pray together.
Awesome, Father. God, we thank you so much that it is with authority and power that you move in the same way today as you did in the synagogue at Capernaum. We thank you, Lord, that it is with authority and power that you say that those who believe on you will be saved. We thank you, Lord, that it is with authority and power that you declare who is clean and righteous. And we thank you, Lord, that in that authority and power you have called us who are in Christ to you. And we pray, Lord, now for those who maybe even today in our midst are not counted among your people today. God, we pray for them and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit going out with that same authority, Lord, that you would stir their affection for Christ Jesus. That you would cause them to realize their need for a Savior. That they would believe all that the Bible has told. And that, Father God, in their belief, they would be drawn to repentance. That they would repent of their sinfulness and confess their need for you. Knowing, Lord, that in your authority and power, you have told us in the Bible that you are faithful and just to forgive. And Lord, we pray that in that belief and in that repentance, it would be marked by their desire for obedience to all that you have commanded. Just like our brothers and sisters who have been baptized, just like those who will be baptized today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you together for this day and for the celebration of the public proclamation of faith that we're about to witness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.